Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, um, would you please take them out and go to the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 is where we are this morning as we are continuing our series called Joyful, a walk through Philippians, uh, how to be joyful when uh, things don't go your way. This morning we're going to look through verses 5 through 11, and I'm real excited about uh, this morning's message. And as you're turning there, um, I just want to let you know that um, one of the things um, that, uh, that I enjoy in life is visiting a chiropractor. Anybody with me? I mean, I, I just like to go to a chiropractor to have my, my back adjusted. And man, I just love it when they turn your neck 360 degrees and pop it. Anybody like, anybody like that? I, I enjoy going to, um, I, I do enjoy going to a chiropractor and getting, um, uh, getting an adjustment. Sometimes I just feel better having a physical adjustment. Um, yesterday, which I had the opportunity to watch my beloved Texas Tech Red Raiders. Um, they no longer have the same record as Alabama. And they need an adjustment. <laughs> they need a major adjustment. And um, so do my wife's Aggies as they were hogtied yesterday. Okay, the, the one hog fan, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, but uh, both of those teams needed a physical adjustment. But, but sometimes it feels good to get a physical adjustment, doesn't it? But sometimes in life, we don't need physical adjustment, adjustments. What we need are attitude adjustments. Anybody with me? Have you ever needed or had an attitude adjustment come your way before? Listen, if you are a child at any point in your life, you have had an attitude adjustment. Can I get an amen? And sometime it was helped by Mr. Spank Spoon. Can I get an amen on that one? Those work wonders with attitude adjustments, but, but sometimes in life we just need attitude adjustments. Because I think we're all in agreement that, that attitude makes all the difference in the world. Your attitude makes all the difference in the world. Listen to these quotes about an attitude. John Maxwell said this, you can't be a smart cookie with a crummy attitude. That's pretty good. One person said this, don't give me attitude unless I can give you my attitude. I like that one. Apparently you don't. Awesome. Wonderful. This is... It's going to be downhill from here. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Terry Bradshaw, Hall of Fame quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, said this, bad attitudes will always ruin your team. That's pretty good. My senior year in high school, my football team uh, went 0-10. You know why? Because we were terrible. had nothing to do with attitudes. <laughs> we were the most positive 0-10 team in the world. But, but attitudes can actually ruin your team. John Maxwell also said this, and I love, I love this quote, and listen closely. He said, we cannot choose how many years we will live, but we can choose how much life those years will have. We cannot control the beauty of our face, but we can control the expression on it. That's pretty good right there. 
We cannot control life's difficult moments, but we can choose to make life less difficult. We cannot control the negative atmosphere of the world, but we can control the atmosphere of our minds. Too often, we try to choose and control things we cannot, and too seldom, we choose to control what we can, our attitude. You see, our attitude makes all the difference in the world. Here's some other things that I, that I know or that I believe about attitudes is this, is that our attitudes are probably the most important things in our lives that can help us live joyfully. You all have seen people who have gone through the depths of disaster, yet they remained joyful. And we also know that we have seen people who have gone through the heights of success and their attitude is crummy. Attitude makes all the difference in a joyful life or not. And then I know this about attitudes. Very few of us really know how to change our attitudes. You want to point at anybody right now? Very few of us know how to change our attitudes. Not that we don't want to, but I think we have a difficult time changing our attitudes. A lot of time, our default system is this, oh, well, that's just who I am. Or that, that's just how I was created. Many people don't know how to change their attitude. That's why the, the self-help book section in, in Amazon.com, or if you go to a bookstore, anybody know what a bookstore is? You remember those? If you go to the self-help section, you see there's tons of self-help books. Here's some that uh, unfortunately are in my library because I don't know how to change my attitude. Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Many of you have read that one. One of the ways is to change your attitude. How about this one? This one's in my library, Dr. Stephen Johnson's book, Who Moved My Cheese? It's a good book. Tom Rainer, former CEO of Lifeway, which is a Southern Baptist arm of, of curriculum, he got into the book, uh, Writing Business, on how to change your attitude. And this book was specifically for senior pastors, and the title of his book was, Who Moved My Pulpit? And the subject of that book was um, bad attitudes in church members. So there you go. Not that that would ever happen. So your attitude makes all the difference in the world whether you live a joyful life or not. Our attitudes, we, don't know, we really don't know how to change them. And the third thing I know about attitudes is this. Many of us as believers, we don't, get a, we, we don't fully grasp what God's Word says about our attitude. I think back to when, I think back to when Jesus first called his disciples. He called his 12, and there were many other followers with him. And then at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus leads them up onto a mountaintop, and his 12 and the others that are with him. And, and there on the mountaintop, Jesus lays out what his ministry is going to look like. And he lays out what what, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, this is what you need to look like too. And we call that the Beatitudes. At the onset of his ministry, Jesus says, your attitude is going to make a difference whether or not you're going to live an effective ministry, have an effective ministry on this earth or not. Well, in our text this morning, Paul challenges the Philippian church, and he challenges us today with this. 
you need to check your attitude. He says you need to check your attitude. And he says it this way. He says, you as followers of Christ, you are to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So, as I've read this text, and we're going to make it through verse 11 uh, within the next three hours. We're going to make it next three. We're going to make it there. I'm just joking, y'all. I know some of you don't like it that I preach long, right? But I like it. <laughs> but we're going to go through verse 11, but, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was stuck on verse 5 for a great portion of the week. When Paul says to the Philippian church, have this same attitude, that which is in Christ Jesus. And two questions just kept popping up into my mind. Really for me and and, and praying for us as a church, local church and then universal church. And two questions just continually popped up. And the first question was this. Okay, if we're to have the same attitude as Jesus, what is the attitude of Jesus? And then the second one is this. Do I need an attitude adjustment? If... If I'm to line up with Christ, and I'm to lay down and and, and read what he says about my attitude, and then I am to lay down my life, and I compare the two, am I in need of an attitude adjustment? Is there something in my life, and and really, is is there something in our church? Is Is there something in our walk? Do we need an attitude adjustment? Well, let's read our text, and we're just going to work our way through this text, and, and um, we'll see where the Holy Spirit leads us this morning. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, let's remember the context here. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul has already exhorted the church to exhibit certain type of attitudes, Correct? He has already said in verses 1 through 4, you as a believer in Christ, you're to be different. As a matter of fact, you want to go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, when Jesus says, you as a believer, you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning you live like Christ. So much so that other people who, who may not know you or who do know you, they would say about you by the way that you live, they'd say, oh, you know, he's a follower of Jesus or, or she's a follower of Jesus. So, so really for several verses, Paul has already said, your attitude makes a big difference. And he already says, you need to live like Christ. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul has already said to us, he says, remember, listen, church, remember believers, and when you became a believer in Christ, you have received the same blessings that every believer in Christ has already received. Meaning you didn't receive anything different than the other believer. Therefore, we as believers, we are on the same team. As a matter of fact, in, in, in a couple of chapters, we'll get there in 2024, in a couple of chapters, Paul actually, listen, Paul actually and this, this is tough. This is hard. Paul actually calls out believers who are causing conflict with one another. He calls them out by name. Now, we don't like that. Oh, he's just, Paul's meddling. Oh, he's, man, that ain't right. I'm, I mean, to Paul, this is a big deal. Are, are you with me this morning? Paul says, listen, church, you've received the same blessings as everybody else who is a believer, and, and then in t- uh, two chapters later, three chapters later, he says, he calls out two people in the church who are ignoring this, and who are 
putting themselves up on a pedestal and he calls them out by name so that everybody in all of creation knows who they are. And he says, listen, folks, we got to get together to be on the same team here. That's what he says in verse 1, verse 2. In verse 2 of Philippians uh, chapter 2, Paul says this, make my joy complete. Remember, Paul is a pastor. And so Paul really says, if you want to make your pastor happy, Be united. Don't cause conflict. Don't purposely cause conflict. You're on the same team, verses 3 and 4. Paul says the attitude, he continues in verses 3 and 4. Paul says this, you need to look to others first. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but out of pure humility, consider others, be- others better than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but look to the interests of others. Paul has already laid out an attitude for us to follow. And so when we read our text this morning in verse number five, when Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, here's what Paul is doing. Paul is repeating what he has already told you. Now, Here is a key element of biblical study. Whenever you read Scripture and you see something that is repeated, it's a clue. The bells ought to be going off in your head. Whenever you see something repeated, the Holy Spirit, through the human author, is letting you know as the reader that the Holy Spirit wants you to get something it's, it's repetition, and I know today in our world, a lot of times repetition gets a negative connotation, especially in our music. Well, I just don't like singing the same thing over and over and over again. Folks, I'm just going to tell you, in heaven, we're going to be singing a lot of holy, holy, holy. So Paul gives this exhortation, not once, not twi- uh, but, but twice, he says, your attitude matters. And the Greek word that Paul uses here for attitude is the Greek word phroneo, P-H-R-O-N-E-O, and it's a command. So when Paul says church, he says church, verse 5, have this attitude, have this phroneo, This is a command. In in the margin of your Bibles, I would write in all caps, say this, this is not a suggestion. This is for a church, for a believer. You cannot cannot say, well, you know, I I think God wants me to have the same attitude as Jesus, but I will only do parts of what Jesus' attitude is because there's some things that I really don't like. It really doesn't fit the way that I want to live my life. And so I just, I'm just going to, no, 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 no. This, this, this is a command. This is, in Greek, it's an imperative. Where, where Paul comes to the church that he started, the church in Philippi that he started 10 years previously, the church is growing, the church is going well, but all of a sudden something has happened and he has heard that there's some conflict and he says, church, wake up. You need to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And, and this, this, word, this word attitude, it, 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 it literally means to set your mind and to set your heart on something. As a matter of fact, Jesus uses this same word. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Go to Matthew 16, 23. This isn't on the screen, so uh, you need to have your Bibles and open those up. Um, 
Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. And look at what Jesus says to Peter. Now, let me set this up for you. Peter has already confessed Christ. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Do do you remember that story? Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Well, some say this, some say that. But he says, no, 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 no. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, what does he say? You are the Christ, what? The son of the living God. I mean, that is a high moment. Now, just a few scriptures later, a few verses later, Jesus tells the disciples that he has to go to the cross. He has to be crucified in order to fulfill God's purpose. And then this is what he says. Then look at what, and then Peter says, no, 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 Lord, that, that does, that's not going to happen. Jesus, I, I'm going to keep that from happening. Look at verse 23. And then Jesus said to Peter, he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Are you with me? Look at your text. He's verse 23. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Why? For you are not phroneo, setting your mind, meaning you have the wrong attitude. Are you with me this morning? You have the wrong attitude, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. And here comes Paul later on in, first, excuse me, in Philippians chapter 2. He says, he says, believers, he says to this church that he loves, that, he, that, he, that he's so thankful for them, that he's filled with joy when he thinks of them. And he, he goes back in his mind and thinks of all the good things that happened while he was there and, and how the church started. And he has all of these great memories of the church and he loves them so dearly and he just encourages them, says, church, have this same attitude that is in Christ Jesus. I mean, he's begging them to have a godly attitude. Well, you know, really, if if Paul stopped there, we would get the picture. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, I think I've got it. Okay, don't say that to your neighbor. That's totally fine. Okay. Well, what's our attitude supposed to be like? Okay, if, if, if Paul says, have this same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, what is that supposed to look like? This is what I love about Scripture. It tells you, and then it shows you. You're never left to your own imagination. He shows you. Now, in verses 6 through 11, in verses 6 through 11, this, these six verses are some of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. They have been some of the most studied verses in all of Scripture. This passage has been called the great parabola. Anybody, mathematicians, geometry, what's a parabola? Or as I was saying it before my daughter told me how to say it, parabola. What's a parabola? Right? Parabola. And so verses 6 to 11, the great parabola, because it shows the entire, the entire spectrum of Jesus. It's from the beginning, then ultimately to what's going to be the culmination of why Jesus came. Write this in the margin of your Bible, verses 6 to 11. Put a bracket from 6 to 11 and write this. This is Jesus' humiliation and exaltation. This is This is key to our belief system. It's his humiliation and it's his exaltation. In verse 6, we're going to see that Jesus, 
began in heaven in verse 7 through 8. He, he descended down to the earth in verses 9 through 11. He, he triumphantly returns back to heaven. And so in these verses, we see the eternal Christ. We see the, uh, the earthly Christ. And then we see the exalted Christ. And in this, we see the attitude that we are to emulate. Verse number 6. Are you still with me this morning? Verse 6, it says this, talking about having the same attitude as Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality as a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Verse 9, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and at that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's really not much more you can say about that, but I'm going to do my best. Let me share with you some things here that, that I see that points to who Jesus is and that attitude that Jesus showed. Number one, write this down. Number one, Jesus humbly accepted that he was and he is God. From the beginning, Jesus has always been. When I say beginning, I mean the beginning of creation because Jesus has always been. Say that with me. Jesus has always been. He's always been God. He is God, and he always will be God. This is Jesus's deity. Verse 6 says, he existed in the form of God. This is Paul's version of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1, John said this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so when Paul says he's writing to the Philippian church, they know this, but he's reminding this because we see an attitude in Jesus of, of, of selflessness. I mean, to think that Jesus was God. He was, he was before all things even existed. He was in eternity before we even knew what eternity was. He sat next to the Heavenly Father in heaven, in the perfect place. He was deity. He is deity. So when Paul says he existed in the form of, existed means it is the essence of God. Not like God, but the essence of God. Not looks like, not acts like, not talks like, but rather is God. He existed in the form. That word form literally means he is God. Meaning Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is 100% deity. He's 100% God. He's always been 100% God. And even when he came to the earth, he was still 100% God deity. And so whatever makes God, God, Jesus is. Whatever makes God, God, whatever the characteristic traits of God, whatever makes God, God, Jesus is. God's omnipotence, Jesus had it. God's sovereignty, that's Jesus. God's holiness, that's Jesus. God's eternity, that's Jesus. God's wisdom, Jesus. God's justice, that's 
Jesus. So Jesus, let's think about this. Paul says, have this attitude which was in Christ Jesus also, and it says this, Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, he's deity, which makes the next sentence even more remarkable. The next phrase, it makes it, this, is, this makes it even more remarkable. Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, look at this, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Because he is deity, that next line is incredible. This is mind-blowing. It says, Jesus, in his selflessness, in his humility, did not regard being equal with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus is the highest of high. And here it says, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning, he didn't make a big deal out of it. Look at that word equality. Um, it's the Greek word isos, I-S-O-S. And apparently, God wanted me to learn geometry this week. Thankful to my daughter for helping me. Because that Greek word, we get our English word isosceles from it. Isosceles triangle, you remember that? How to research it? What? Two what? What sides? Two, wow, all of the sixth and seventh graders are showing all of you people up. <laughs> Education is good. Isosceles triangle, two equal sides. And Jesus said, I do not consider that something to be grasped, which means this, Jesus did not grab hold of that and hold on to that. Do you get the picture? Now, now think about this. Think about all the things that you hold on to. Come on. Come on. Think about all the things that you hold on to and you don't want to let go of. Not once were you and I at the highest of highs where Jesus was. And yet we try to grab hold of the things that are not even close to what Jesus held on to. And it says that he being equal with God, did not consider that something to be grasped, meaning Jesus selflessly in all humility said, yes, I am God, but I am not going to hold that above everything else and hold on to that, and I will never do anything else. And so Jesus shows us very quickly that the pathway to godliness begins with selflessness. Are you with me this morning? Number one, Jesus exhibited selflessness. He humbly accepted that he was God. Number two, Jesus willingly became a servant. Not only did Jesus so show selfishness, selfish, selflessness, he was servant-minded. Verse number seven, but Jesus emptied himself, which, which literally means, take a picture of water, he literally he poured the water out. He emptied himself. He emptied himself, and he took the form of a bond servant. It's a Greek word, doulos, which is the number one definition of a follower of Jesus Christ, a doulos, a bond servant. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Theologians call verse number seven, this is the incarnation of Christ Jesus. This is God becoming man in the flesh. This is Christmas. 
This is Christmas, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ into this world. And Paul tells us it happened in three steps. Number one, Jesus emptied himself. Some translations said this, he made himself nothing. In a contemporary version, it says this, he became a nobody. Meaning when Jesus came to earth, sitting at the right hand of the Father, dressed in all divinity, wearing this divine robe, when he enters into uh, creation, he lays aside his divine robe. He doesn't lay aside his divinity. But he lays aside the divine robe that he wears. One way that I could think of this, because this is hard, this is, this is hard to comprehend, but one way that I thought about it was this, if a, if a, a, a general in the army, let's say, was, uh, was walking down the street and, and, and he wasn't wearing his uniform, even though he's a general, but he's not in uniform, then he's, but he's still what? He's still a general. It's just kind of, it's, uh, you may have a better explanation of it, and you can text me later. Um, but, but, it's, but, but Jesus, he, he took off the divine robe, and he put on human flesh. He was wearing the robe of a common man, but he was still God, and he emptied himself. And second, he takes on the form of a bond servant, which means it's when Jesus came, and Jesus even told us this in Luke chapter 19, Jesus said this, I did not come to be served, but I came to what? Serve. And so can you imagine, now go back to verse 5, Paul says, have the same attitude that which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself has already said, I did not come to be served. So folks, why in the world would we think that people exist to serve me? Are, are you with me? I mean, that is so anti-gospel. That is so anti-gospel. We say, well, you know, I, you, you need to take care of me, but, but I'm not going to do anything for you. That is so anti-gospel. Jesus said, I, I, I left all of divinity, I left the divine, and I took on the flesh because I wanted to reach you, and I'm showing you how, how my life lived, how I lived my life, and I want you to live that same life. And, 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 and he took on the form of a servant, and he looked like me and you, so that we could recognize who he is. Jesus, fully God. Jesus, fully man. Jesus humbly accepted that he was God. Jesus became a servant. And here's number three. Jesus obediently chose to suffer. Meaning this, Jesus has a sacrificial mindset. Would you think about that for a few moments? Jesus had a sacrificial mindset. Verse eight, being found in appearance as a man, we know that, he humbled himself. The word humble means this, to get as low as the ground. Really, it means to get underneath the table. Do you see the picture? He humbled himself. How did he prove his humility? He became obedient to the point of death. Jesus chose to suffer. Look at that phrase, being found. Do you see that in verse number eight? Being found. Um, out in the margin of your Bible, I want you to write this. Um, it's, it's the Greek, Greek word, horisko, where we get our English word, and this is what I want you to write down. Our English word, eureka, comes right here. What is eureka? 
It's a shout of exclamation. It's a shout of exclamation. It means this, I found it. I get it. The key to understanding all things that God has done is found right here. Eureka, God became man in his son Jesus. Eureka, that's the key. It's not Eureka, oh, Muhammad thinks he's the saving one. That's not Eureka. It's not, oh, Eureka, Buddha has great things to say. No, that's not Eureka. Here's why Buddhism and here's why Islam can never fulfill what it says it will fulfill. They never had a God that became man. And it will never happen in any other religion It will never happen. It's only happened one time in all of creation that we as believers, this is what sets us apart. God, deity, became man in his son, Jesus Christ. Eureka! That's the moment. Here's the question. Have you had a eureka moment with Christ Jesus? Have you had a eureka moment with Christ Jesus? Look at verses 9 through 11, because here's Jesus. He was selfless. He was servant-minded. He was sacrificially obedient. Surely God would reward him, right? Surely God would reward him. Look at verses 9 through 11. The greatest example of humility, now God gives Jesus the greatest honor in the universe. For this reason, again, let let me back up. Are are y'all with me this morning? For, For this reason, somebody said barely. Who was that? I'll talk to you after church, okay? (laughs) Oh, he's an Alabama fan? Oh, that's even worse. Look at that phrase, for this reason. This is a term of conclusion. So Paul is saying to the church, he's saying to you and I, Jesus was selfless. He was God, but he didn't hold that. He didn't grasp that. He became a servant by becoming like us. He chose to suffer he chose, to, he chose obedience to the point of death upon the cross. And then Paul says, for this reason, because, because Jesus did these things, here's what God did to him. Here's what God did to Jesus. God highly exalted him. God lifted him up, meaning, meaning Jesus came all the way down to the depths that you and I could never experience. He came from the highest of highs and he came to the lowest of lows. But because he did that, here's what God did. God exalted him. Peter picks up this theme in 1 Peter chapter 5 when God says, uh, when Peter says to you and I, humble yourselves and in due time, God will exalt you. You will be exalted when? When you get low and when you humble yourself. And, and, God, and Paul says this about God to Jesus. God exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, meaning there is only one name by which man can be saved. There's only one name by which you can have a godly attitude. There's only one name that can do anything in your life, and it's the name Jesus. And God gave Jesus that name. <laughs> There's no other name by which man can be saved. Jesus. You know, sometimes people may ask you a question. Well, hey, pastor, they ask me this question, sometimes I'll ask you, hey, pastor, hey, what, what do you think the world's coming to? I can tell you what the world's coming to. It's verses 9, 10, 11. 
This is what the world is coming to. In verses 9, 10, 11, this is what the world is coming to. When God highly exalted Jesus and he bestowed upon him that name which is above every name, look at verse 10. This is what the world is coming to, so that the name of Jesus, only some people's knee will bow. It says every knee will bow. Every knee will bow, which means this. Every human created, every creation We'll all bow their knee to Jesus Christ. At some point, we're all going to bow. Either you will bow humbly or Jesus is going to put you down where that you will rightly understand who he is. But every person ever created will bow their knee to Jesus Christ. Well, what about the atheists? Oh, they'll be pushed down. Trust me. Well, I don't believe in God. One day you will. One day you will and you are going to regret it for all of eternity. Pastor, what's the world coming to? The world is coming to this, that every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, those who are on the earth, and those who are, uh, under, those who are on, under the earth. Meaning everybody is going to bow. Every person will bow their knee to Jesus Christ. And then every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's where the world is heading. And today you have that choice. You can either do it before the judgment day, or it will be done to you on judgment day. And Paul says, church, have this attitude which is in Christ Jesus, which means you humbly bow down. You humble yourself. You take on the form of a servant, and you willingly obey him. Let me close with these four points of application I think is important for us. An attitude like Jesus means this. Number one, I want you to write this down. Number one, it means this. I don't demand what I think I deserve. I don't demand what I think I deserved. Jesus did not demand his rights as deity. Are you with me? He did not demand his rights. As American, that's hard to understand because what? We have rights. Don't tread on me. Jesus did not demand his rights, nor should you and I. Number two, an attitude like Jesus means you serve. We've recognized three people this morning who served. But let me be honest, sometimes you may not be recognized. But guess what? You serve. Because one day the King of Kings will be the one who recognizes you. An attitude like Jesus means you, you don't demand what you deserve. You, you look for ways to serve. And number three, an attitude like Jesus means this, that you do what's right even if it's painful. Jesus willingly chose obedience. Obedience to the point of death, even death upon the cross. Sometimes we have to make painful decisions, don't we? But it's never about the pain. It's about obedience or it's about disobedience. And then number four, and I close with this. Number four, 
I beg of you to humbly bow your knee before Jesus Christ. I don't know what's going on in everybody's life. I don't know the struggles. I don't know your frustrations. I don't know the difficulties. I don't know all of your successes. I don't know if everybody's pleased with what's going on in our church or if you're not pleased with what's going on in our church. I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I ask you, no matter where it is, what you think, I just ask you to bow before Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Have this attitude for yourselves as that which was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but rather he took on the form of a bondservant, being made in the image of men and becoming the appearance of mankind, he, he willingly chose obedience, obedience to death to the point of death on the cross, so that, so that every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And that every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I pray that you bow your knee today and receive that attitude adjustment that can only come from Christ Jesus. Father, have your way with us. Holy God, your word says that your word will not return void. I pray that your word will produce the fruit that you so desire. In Jesus' name, amen.